Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter Munley, your late night DJ. Oh God. Horrible. Did you ever listen to word jazz, Connor? I surely hope not. You call yourself a Chicagoan and you never listened to Ken Nordine's word jazz. Hmm. Telling. Hmm. My dream job, one of my dream jobs, has been to be a DJ on a jazz station because their stories in between songs are always hilarious. It's like, actually, Ben Webster's read happened to fall down the stairs right before recording. As a result, you notice a slight squeak from the messed up reed. And the earthiness in his timber <laughs> is real dirt this time. Let's boogie down. <laughs> this was recorded in a 1956 underground cellar with one bass and John Coltrane's left ear. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we don't know when you're listening to this, but it's become late night here. Later for me than it is for Connor. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. It's totally fine. It's fine. Uh, The the Gloria podcast, you can listen whenever. Um, Yeah. It's uh, it's the end, the, it's the, the end. glorious conclusion. See, that's of... the thing, Jack. I was trying to stretch it out. I wanted, you know, you know, the songs that are like we're dancing all night kind of thing. It's kind of like most of the songs. I don't know about you, but I don't want line break week to end. You know what I'm saying? It's the last episode. I mean, we've talked about so much. We really have. 
we have we have talked about all kinds of stuff we set the stage we talked about drama we talked about miming we talked about uh, emphasis we talked about rhythm we talked about ambiguity and now we are kind of spinning off into some of the the kind of more nebulous stuff that line breaks can do um some of the some of the stuff that they do really well but that often doesn't have to do with maybe the line itself but has to do with what a collection of line breaks do together we've kind of alluded to some of these things in different ways before and especially in like the drama episode where we were talking about how certain ways of establishing line breaks through a poem can build drama that then gets really reinforced at the end um but today we're talking about how line breaks can surprise you oh what was that it was a surprising line break they can reveal information in a way that is more interesting than just flat out stating it in big long lines or right at the beginning of a poem and also sorry how- alan ginsburg yeah. boring we've all seen the best minds of our generation starving naked Keep on going. Never break the line. You have a long breath. How yes. do you do it? I do not know. No one does. No one knows. Ginsburg the lung, they called him. <laughs> <laughs> Old Guinea the lung. Old Guinea the lung out there howling. Um, you can't howl unless you got old Guinea the lung power. Um <laughs> But oh, yeah, also also looking at how line breaks can play with time. Um, so a few examples of this. I think the the surprise element is we talked in the previous episode about Lita and the Swan and how ambiguous line endings open up possibilities for what a word could mean. Uh, in Lita and the Swan, it's the word still. And you don't know if the beating wings are still as in they've stopped beating or if they are still beating as in they continue beating. And you aren't necessarily surprised by the resolution of that. But the way that line breaks can introduce an element of surprise is usually through deploying ambiguity and you end up in an ambiguous situation that has a surprising resolution to it. Um, and another way to think about that can also be. A, a use of line breaks that allows for a very gradual revealing of information or a gradual revealing of what a poem's actually about. And one example that we've talked about on the podcast is the Audre Lorde poem, Coping. And the way that the line breaks work on that is that they really build on each other and kind of over many, many lines reveal, many, many short lines reveal what the poem is really getting at and it kind of consistently is changing the scope so this is just a a short excerpt from the beginning of it it has rained for five days running the world is a round puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning to cope and in that reading i tried to really emphasize where the line breaks happen so it has rained for five days line break running already that's like new information surprise may be a strong word for that but it's like a big reveal that it's not just it rained for five days it rained for five days running five continuous days it just adds a whole different feeling to five days of rain 
it increases the water imagery. The world is, line break, a round puddle. At the end of the line, the world is, you're waiting for that resolution. You may or may not be surprised to find out that after all this time, the world is a round puddle, but it is a very conscious use of the line break to allow a round puddle to really hit you as what she is saying the world is. But she's not done yet because the world is a round puddle of sunless water, line break, where small islands, line break, are only beginning, line break, to cope. So all of that information about what Lord is describing, and the poem goes on into way more from here in a similar style, but what is happening here is different bits of not factual information, obviously, but more information about Lord's project in the poem is getting revealed with each line break. And again, it may not quite rise to the level of surprise, but it is coming out in the way that you would deploy this kind of ambiguity that we talked about in the previous uh, episode in a little bit more of a pointed way. And so it's ambiguity to a degree, but it's ambiguity with a pretty loud resolution in most instances. Um, and I think that's where I would kind of, that's what's falling under my umbrella of surprise, because usually real surprise in poems, again, similar to some of what we talked about in the previous episode, ends up feeling often a little gimmicky or a little bit overdone. And so this is the version of that where you're kind of bringing information out, you're teasing it out, but you're doing it in a much more dramatic way than you would in just a block of prose because you can play with the line breaks. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great example. It makes me think of like visual analogies where you, um, there used to be those things where it's like super zoomed in on something and it's like, what is it? It's like actually a sponge, but it looks like, or, you know, uh, I don't know. It's actually a carrot or whatever. Anyway, it's like if some, some, the way you were describing it made me think of like, if you had a very slow zoom out where like in the beginning, it looks like one thing and then you're just zooming out the whole time. But then the other, the other way that I was thinking about it, which poems also do sometimes, and this does sometimes where it's like, um, like a layered, I'm thinking of, I feel like there's some kinds of baking that does this dripping on itself and making the layers, but then they're like folding on top of themselves and then they're kind of creating this stack but it's like they're all folded onto itself kind of thing they're not really describing that very well but it's interesting it it's like each line is its own thing but then it's it's just being like layered it's like bricks on a wall uh where it's like each line is another brick and it's like coming from the last one, but then it's not one unit in a kind of cohesive way. Um, and so those are ways that you can kind of, um, yeah, no, that, that just, for some reason, that's where my mind was going. <laughs> Aside from the dripping, I think you're right on the, I, what it comes to mind for me in the, in the baking realm, because you know, I love to do my baking. Um, is like mm. a laminated dough, which is essentially layers of butter and dough. It's like what you would make turnovers or like 
pie crusts are in that vein, or it's like a puff pastry or a phyllo dough, where it is these very thin layers of butter and pastry. But then what happens is it gets transformed in its totality. So you you create it, you make sure it's laminated. There's like, by the time you're done with your lamination process, there might be even hundreds of layers of lamination within it. When you bake it, the butter, the the water content in the butter turns into steam. That's what makes it flaky. Like it transforms in its form, in its like totality into your crispy baked good. So there's like the work process of the lamination, which would be the crafting of the poem. And then the laminated pastry, once it's baked, that gets served to the consumer, the way that somebody reading that poem that's been so carefully constructed by the baker uh, or writer would then be receiving their croissant or their apple turnover. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. It reminds me a little bit as we're, as, as we're talking of the poetry of, um, Ray Armand Trout, um, which we've we've done one uh, poem by her. Um, I believe it was And maybe. Yep. Um, and she is very famous for her short lines uh, and rather difficult poetry. Um, but I think it kind of gets gets at this a little bit. And this is another poem that I that I found of hers. Um, it's called The Fold. Let us, he said, make man as if he had to ask someone's permission, even if always only his own. To practice is to repeat what has not yet occurred. We get signals from the future. We are invited to grow by entwining, twinning, being duplicitous. A rose by any other rose is its own paradise of luminous folds. There's a lot going on there. I'll have to tell you that. One more clear example here, a rose by any other line break rose. Little surprised. You thought it'd be a rose by any other name. In fact, it's a rose again. Um, But here, I think, you know, like as if you had to ask line break, someone's permission line break, even if always line break only line break his own <laughs> which is to me there's also a kind of for her for her Trout's poetry the words have a lot of meaning and so they're revealing information in this slow way partly because each word is adding a lot where it's like he's he's asking permission but it's his own permission but that kind of idea i don't know it like takes some time to unfold in a way it's like we're invited to grow by entwining twinning being duplicitous who's to say where'd that last one come from that seems different (laughs) I would say I am surprised by that line. 
Yes. Um, and the surprise, I mean, it's sort of that old, you know, rule of threes from comedy. It's like <laughs> setup, reinforcement, subversion. And yeah, you get yeah. that there. It's like, here's one line. Here's another line that's connected. But actually, here's a different thing. What's up? Yep. Yeah. No, I think that's real. Um, the poem I tend to think about, and it does play with time is and kind of follows this rule of three is Emily Dickinson's to make a prairie, which we talked about quite a while ago, Ooh. back on episode 15 rebroadcast as episode 89. So you can go back and find our conversation about that poem in the archives. Um, but it's a very short poem. And what the line breaks allow for is this feeling of time, because what essentially happens in the poem is some very definitive statements are made. And there's basically three definitive statements that come up in the poem over the course of five lines and it's very short and a lot of the words themselves within the poem are repeated so in a way it's even shorter because it's the same words in slightly different configurations um but the poem is to make a prairie it takes a clover and one bee one clover and a bee and reverie the reverie alone will do if bees are few so good on so many levels but basically and we talked about this in the episode we did about the poem like within this tiny tiny poem there are three definitive answers to what it takes to make a prairie at first it takes a clover and a bee then it takes a clover and a bee in reverie and then you find out actually the clover and the bee eh, not so important the reverie is the most important part and you are given the time as a reader to sit with each of those ideas because of how the poem is laid out. To make a prairie, it takes a clover and one bee. Your first answer to the question is on the first line, and it is the first line. One clover and a bee. The next line reinforcing the first. And reverie. Shortest line of the whole poem, introducing this entirely new concept giving you that second answer that it's not just the clover and the bee, it's the clover and the bee and reverie. Surprise, save that for the next line. What's up? Then, oh my goodness, another revelation. The reverie alone will do. Line break again, if bees are few. So good. But again, this very short poem that could fit on maybe two lines if it was a prose poem and you might rush through the way the line breaks happen give you time to sit with each of its ideas and it just flows so naturally and there are of course many other examples of of poems that have done this but i just think this is such a stark one because it is so short but it contains so much and it's still so simple it's just like a little crystalline nugget of poetic goodness. Mm. Like um, a little um, laminated kind of dough. Yeah. Or sort like of... an emerald from one of Elon Musk's father's mines. Woo, <laughs> <laughs> baby. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree. This is a perfect example and just a perfect poem. It makes me think what it comes down to. I mean, like what I hope has come across 
over the course of this lovely week yet too short alas alack the day um is it's a kind of jump it's a break but so then that means you're starting in one place and you're ending in another place and in this kind of situation that the dickinson poem especially is emphasizing is like you have a choice of how little or how far you want to jump in between lines and that makes a big difference um you know and it it's kind of like the audrey lord poem in coping is doing like kind of medium jumps consistently so that it's like by the end you're in kind of a whole new place but each one is not as extreme in its own right but then it's like it keeps going the ray armand trout is going in all kinds of places uh and i feel a little apologetic for bringing that in there because that really was a whirlwind Anyway, I, I just am, am reflecting on that as kind of an abstraction idea for line breaks of this kind of this leap. But then it's like, how are you leaping? What is the leap? Um, and then as a reader, it's like, oh, how are you taking that leap? And that's what's so delightful about the To Make a Prairie, because it's like, it's making a lot of leaps. It's like in the movies when they're like trying to get across and all the stones fall away, like as they jump. And then when they get there, it's like they can't go back. I feel like uh, Emily Dickinson's doing that a little bit here. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. A little bit of that Indiana Jones. Exactly. See, he was just trying to make a prairie. He wasn't trying to plunder. Nah. I wasn't trying to save anything. In Dickinson, Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, boy. No, that's, that's very real. Um, the last <laughs> example on this that I uh, pulled out is another very recent episode, uh, which we did on IRL by Chris Teese. And it particularly stuck out to me because this was an instance of the line taking precedent over the sentence in a big way. And it's exactly what you're talking about in terms of leaps. And this is technically one sentence that contains all these leaps, but each one is broken out onto its own line. And after each line, it is technically resolved and it could stand on its own as a statement, but there's always another piece of information that is coming in. And yeah, it's sort of what you're saying and a lot of what we've been talking about throughout this entire line break week. Like the reason we're doing this and the reason that it's so important is that the line is in a lot of ways the sentence of poetry. It is that kind of fundamental unit that you're working with when you're conveying things in poems. Obviously, there are sentences in poems, but like the, I know, I know. Shocking, are, shocking no. revelation. Heard it here Jack. first. Yeah. Jack. <laughs> I know. Big poetry oh, didn't want me to tell you the real truth. Horses. I'm out here speaking real truth. Don't cancel me, big poetry. I know you <laughs> want to keep your secrets hidden away Listen, in the halls of power. I'm out big, here telling you. Big poetry, you're canceled. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry, that's man. right. Big poetry. 
We know that Hannibal's reading Poetry Magazine in Silence of the Lambs. We've all taken the screenshots for whenever you fuck <laughs> up again. We're ready. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so like there, there are sentences and other kinds of like punctuation and other ways of delineating things in poetry. But really the equivalent, I think, in poetry of the function that sentences serve in, you know, prose writing is the line. And so in this Chris Tease poem uh, called IRL in real life, uh, this is just a sentence that gets broken up over many lines, six lines for one sentence. And the section reads, in real life, the nice guys pull out of the race when their tires are slashed or they turn back because they think they left the iron on and no one adheres to sports film cliches anyway. We're all selfish and we want that trophy. So that's the sentence. But the way it's broken down is in real life, line break, the nice guys pull out of the race. That's a complete idea that stands on its own. And he, it's right. Yeah, exactly. They, do. Like, they never they, finish the race. They don't have the champion mindset, the killer instinct. You want to know the gold, 24 the last, 7, 365. The last race I ran, I was a little kid. It was a mile. I got tripped up in the first couple yards, scraped my knee, didn't finish. You think Why I raced again? You? No, I became a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like uh, you finished last like all nice guys. Oh, what a sucker. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I, it's it's real. Sorry, you were, uh, you were reading a poem. I, yeah, I, really, yeah. I just kind of. You had to drop your truth bombs, and I appreciate I, it. I did. Um, so yeah, in real life, the nice guys pull out of the race, as we just learned, true facts. But that's not where the sentence ends, even though that's like those two lines, complete idea. The next line, when their tires are slashed or they turn back. Again, that's additional information and a complete idea. In real life, the nice guys pull out of the race when their tires are slashed or they turn back. Boom, done. That could also work. But there's another line. Because they think they left the iron on. Okay, yeah, again, fairly complete idea. It gives you a reason for why they would have turned back. Next line, and no one adheres to sports film cliches anyway. Also a complete idea after five lines. Connor didn't adhere to these sports film cliches. He didn't, he didn't scrape his knee and think, oh, you know, it's not how many times you, you hit the mat, it's how many times you get up after you've been hit or whatever Rocky says in the millionth Rocky movie or whatever. You know, it's not... <laughs> It's not that it's not like oh yeah oh no pain no gain no guts no glory no blood no mud no gold medal or whatever listen they say you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take but they also say you watch a hundred percent of the shows that you watch or Hard to do both you never miss a shot you don't take real True. losers month anyway <laughs> not at all um, i think it just uh indicates how that could really go either way because you know what they say give me 50 dollars, i'll tell you how to never lose another chess game in your life and yes the answer is never play another chess game in your life um uh, but anyway again so many chess games right now oh uh, boy it's yeah I'm, I'm only doing okay in the whole chess world um but again, like again, after each line, there is a complete set of ideas that's happening. But the real kind of crescendo this is all leading to is 
we're all selfish and we want that trophy. So the sports film cliches that we think are happening are maybe about competition. It's about like the nice guys don't finish, but you got to work harder. But it's like, no, the sports film cliches are the stuff about this, like being a fair race at all, or like a race for everybody. And, you know, it fits into the larger poem in a way. But again, this is such a specific way of breaking out all of the ideas contained that build on each other to this point um, and using the line breaks as a way to kind of, you know, again, similar to what's going on in To Make a Prairie, there's kind of a, each idea is bookmarked by the next line and they are building over time and it all comes together as a totality. But as a reader, you have more time to take all of these different ideas on board. And as a poem, it has more different ideas that get presented because you are, I think, in your head as you're reading it, subconsciously after each of those lines, you're ending the sentence a little bit in your head before the next piece of information comes in. So you're creating five sentences out of one sentence as a reader the first time you go through the poem and the line breaks are what allow you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good example. And it keeps that poem keeps it up the whole time. It's it's really yeah, it's really great in that respect. Yeah. And again, that's just a snippet of the poem. I encourage you to look up Chris Tisa's work in the poet the poem IRL. Also, you can head back to episode 152 of Close Talking and hear us talk about it for a long time. Uh, and kind of descend into madness towards the end as we are occasionally wont to do Um, possibly because one of us had seen die hard recently who knows Uh, (laughs) at time of recording Um, but yeah that is pretty much going to do it for us for line break week again we've talked about a lot of different elements of how line breaks work how they build drama, how they mime, how they emphasize different things within the poem, how they have a hand in building rhythm, perhaps even they are the main driving force of rhythm that is constructed within poems, how they can play with ideas of ambiguity, either thematic or just the different meanings of individual words. And then in this episode, obviously, we've been talking about some of the ways that they can reveal information, play with time, contribute to surprises. Um, There's just so much that lines can do. We obviously haven't covered everything this week. So tell us what you think line breaks can do in poems and what you want line breaks to do in your poetry. Or if you have examples of particularly exciting line breaks, send them on over to us or even better, leave a rating and review and drop your favorite line break in that review. That would be pretty cool. Um, this is a great line break podcast. We're down for that review. I think we could all live with that. Um, of all the line break podcasts I listen to, this one stands above the rest. This is certainly the only one that exists. <laughs> you don't have to credit me for that. You can just put that in. You can plagiarize that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this has been our line break week extravaganza closing out Poetry Month 2022. We'll be back with another one of these to close out Poetry Month 2023. We've been talking about and thinking about doing one on translation, but obviously we are always open for suggestions. We've done forms in the past. We've done the haiku and the sonnet. This is obviously 
closely tied to form, but aside from our COVID comfort poems series in the early stages of the pandemic, we've we've done mostly forms up till this point. So if there's a form you want us to look at, we've had the Villanelle suggested. Uh, and as somebody who's currently watching Killing Eve, I'm absolutely down for that. <laughs> but yeah, let us know what you want to hear for the next you know, poetry month end week extravaganza. And also if you've got poems you want us to talk about individual poems on regular episodes, let us know. We've also been having more guests on the show. You got somebody who you think would be a good guest on close talking. Let us know. We'll see if they want to chat with us. Um, we've got some pretty exciting ones lined up for the near future. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening as always. And especially to this line break week. Thank you. Thank you all. Please send us your thoughts, your recommendations. Give us a little review. Um, happy May. Happy May. Let's see those flowers. I got to tell you. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossner Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.